We're corn farmers by tradition, and we're dry farmers, meaning that for the most part, we don't irrigate. So moisture is a huge part of our necessity. Turquoise is, is an item that has that metaphor of water, the sky, you know, because of its blue-green color. Much like the seashell and the pair of feathers, turquoise has all of those, you know, moisture metaphors associated with it. And it's like a silent prayer advocating that moisture come to this dry area. This is Mesa Verde Voices, a podcast connecting modern people to the people who lived around Mesa Verde hundreds of years ago. I'm your host, Kayla Woodward. This episode is the third in a series we're calling The Trade of Color. We're talking about three different items all associated with something very precious in the desert, water. Those items are seashells, feathers, and turquoise. In this episode, we're focusing on turquoise. Today, you can find turquoise incorporated into necklaces, bracelets, rings, belt buckles, and even pottery all over the southwestern United States. And turquoise comes from various mines across the southwest. So within uh, the greater southwest, there are known mines stretching from Nevada down to California, all the way to Colorado, and of course, in Arizona and New Mexico. This is Lyle Belenqua, Hopi archaeologist. He's also the voice we heard at the top of the episode. We know prehistorically that folks had access to a number of these mines and they were actively acquiring turquoise from those areas and trading it. Turquoise is a mineral that ranges in color from a robin's egg blue to a kind of mint green and has been a prized gemstone for thousands of years all over the world. It only occurs in dry environments and is made of copper, phosphorus, and aluminum. It can vary greatly in terms of physical appearance. And like I mentioned, some turquoise is more blue, some is more green, And some is like a blend of blue and green. Some is very uniform in appearance, and some is marbled with lots of its host rock, that's the rock it forms inside of, to form what's called a matrix, which kind of looks like spiderwebs or patches across the surface. And a quick note here, when we say there were turquoise mines, they weren't really mines like you might imagine by today's standards. Some of these prehistoric mines that were being used, some of that turquoise may have been the surface deposits. It was readily accessible. It didn't require the heavy machinery that a lot of turquoise mines utilize now. It was more likely that folks were able to use stone tools to work the rock and acquire these surface deposits. And in the ancestral Pueblo world, turquoise is most often used in jewelry, as pendants, beads, and sometimes inlaid with other trade items, such as seashells. As Lyle mentioned, turquoise, being that blue-green color, is part of that metaphor of water, serving as a prayer for rains for the desert. But turquoise also serves another purpose. For some groups of people, it's looked as a protective element. And so, you know, wearing of turquoise may shield you from negative energies. Some villages were found to have massive quantities of turquoise left in them. There were probably 20,000 plus individual pieces of turquoise found at Chaco Canyon. One such example of this comes from the village of Pueblo Benito at Chaco Canyon. In the episode about the trade of cacao, we talked about some particular pieces of pottery referred to as cylinder jars. Researchers found that these special jars were used for a ceremony that involved drinking a beverage made from cacao. For reasons unknown, this ceremony doesn't exist today. And it seems that the people living at Pueblo Benito were very intentional in the way that they ended the practice of that ceremony. 
So room 28 in Pueblo Benito is located right adjacent to what's called the West Court or the West Plaza. This is Dr. Patricia Crown. She is a professor at the University of New Mexico in the Department of Anthropology and has done extensive research studying the cylinder jars at Chaco. When room 28 was excavated in 1896, they found in that room 174 ceramic vessels along with a lot of other items. And along the upper part of this room, there was this long shelf. There were, oh gosh, about 140 vessels set on the shelf, including 99 cylinder jars. And in about 1100, the people of Pueblo Benito placed groups of other types of pottery all around the room, blocking the doorways. And sprinkled on top of everything? Thousands of pieces of turquoise and shell beads were sprinkled over the vessels, on the shelves, on the floor, wherever there were vessels. And it was under that shelf that the fire was set and the room allowed to burn down. This was most likely what archaeologists referred to as a termination ritual. Whatever ritual involved the cylinder jars and the other vessels in that room, they needed to shut it down. Either they were leaving, or the last person who knew how to perform the ritual had died, or things had gone wrong and they decided to shut it down, and so everything was burned up. The fire burned so hot that the floor turned to glass, the sand floor turned to glass, and eventually the upper story collapsed inward and smothered the fire. As Lyle mentioned before, there were over 20,000 turquoise pieces found at Chaco. The ones used in this termination ritual in room 28 were just one example. The 20,000 plus turquoise pieces found at Chaco, the majority of those were finished products, pendants, beads, or material that was, you know, on its way to becoming some type of adornment. And it wasn't just used as a way to close something down. There were also large deposits of unfinished or raw pieces of turquoise placed strategically throughout the villages. It has been found in kind of, uh, how would I say, ritual deposits. When they were constructing some of the large buildings there in Chaco, when excavators came, when archaeologists came much later and started to excavate, some of these large structures, mainly like kiva structures. Kivas are large, round, underground rooms used solely for ceremonies today. But prehistorically, they were likely living spaces as well as ceremonial spaces. In some of these subterranean deposits, they were finding where turquoise had been purposefully placed in leather bags. You know, again, I talked about turquoise having some kind of protective element associated with it. Turquoise, in its raw form like that, I feel that they were putting those turquoise in there as ritual offerings. So it had both the jewelry adornment status symbol component, but it also had, you know, that, that kind of blessing of a structure, maybe establishing some sort of uh, protective environment to it. It was a special structure which required, you know, a special offering placed within it. And even today, some tribes still use turquoise, you know, in that context. So it maintains both the jewelry component, but also kind of as an offering that folks still use today. Let's uh, step into the edge of the cedars room and we can have a quick gander at um, some turquoise and a copper bell. 
That's Jonathan Till. I'm the curator of collections at the Edge of the Cedars State Park Museum. Uh, I'm also an archaeologist. We've talked about Chaco Canyon and how it was once a trading center and spiritual hub of the ancestral Pueblo world, containing villages like Pueblo Benito. And Pueblo Benito is what's called a great house. It's actually the largest known great house. There's this uh, apparent, as folks say, fluorescence of ideas from Chaco that expresses itself up here, starting in the mid-1000s here in southeastern Utah and over in southwestern Colorado, through these relatively large Pueblo structures that we refer to as great houses. Throughout the Four Corners region, there are dozens of similar great houses, not nearly as massive as Pueblo Benito, but containing the same general attributes. They tend to be multi-story. They often have big, fat, wide basal walls that will support a lot of weight towering above them. And these uh, great houses tend to occupy places of prominence in the landscape, so hilltops oftentimes. One example of a great house at Mesa Verde National Park is the Farview community. Edge of the Cedars State Park in Utah is also home to a great house. They're often associated with big subterranean round rooms that we call great kivas that are meant to hold many dozens of people at any one time. Now, what exactly does this have to do with turquoise? Remember when we talked about where turquoise comes from, how it's formed from elements like copper? We're standing at a display case that uh, describes some of the objects that come from the edge of the cedar's great house that component of the site here uh, that harks back to the big Chacoan sensibilities about a thousand years ago. And among, among the things that we have in this display case um, include a, a turquoise pendant, kind of that flashy blue-green set of colors, and then the copper bell. Today, copper is a very valuable metal for industrial things like pipes and electronics. And even though the ancestral Pueblo folks weren't dealing with things like pipes and electronics, copper was something that they regarded as precious. Copper bells are also a part of that blue-green world, at least uh, that's what the color that they oxidize to, right? We usually think about them as shiny, flashy, coppery pennies, but no, they're blue-green really more often. And just like with those small conical shells being strung together to make shell tinklers... It has that clank or click of of rain uh, when you hear it. However, despite being so closely associated with turquoise, copper wasn't nearly as easily accessible to folks in the Mesa Verde region as turquoise was. Prehistorically, copper really wasn't mined. You know, at least here in the Southwest, there was no smelting technology. Smelting is the process by which someone can work with copper. You're melting copper ore and you are putting that melted material into a cast. In order to shape it as it cools. And so we do find copper bells. They're very rare. People here in the Four Corners area didn't have the know-how in terms of how to smelt copper and transform it into something else. However, we know that there was that technology in Western Mexico uh, during prehistoric times. Copper bells are made in northern Mexico, northwestern Mexico. So they're not made up here. They're made down in Mexico and they're traded up here and uh, they are made in a very complicated way. It's not that you're hammering unsmelted copper out. You're smelting copper and you're pouring it into a form. We see copper bells showing up here in in southeastern Utah in the 10 hundreds. I only know of copper bells being associated with great houses. I don't know about them coming from other places. 
We've talked a lot this season about what the ancestral Pueblo people were acquiring from faraway places like central Mexico, the California coast, and the Gulf of Mexico. But what would they have been using to trade in exchange? Well, one likely answer to that question is turquoise. Uh, We see American Southwest turquoise being moved along those trade networks, not just here in the Southwest, but even down into Mexico, into Central America. So we see some of that turquoise being given in exchange probably for, you know, seashell, uh, those macaw feathers and things like that. With these three particular trade items, seashells, macaw feathers, and turquoise, we've established these strong, sacred, spiritual connections to water for the people in the Mesa Verde region. All across the region in the mid-1100s, life shifted. People began to move closer to water, closer to each other. And as we see at Mesa Verde, some people began to move into the cliffs. Alcoves often contained springs. That's actually the way the alcove was formed, by water seeping through the sandstone above and eroding the rock below to form a sort of shelter. These movements to water are also reflected in the need to travel great distances, to make strong bonds with different cultures, speaking different languages, to bring home these items, feathers, shells, turquoise, with their bright, vibrant colors, their origins near oceans and rainforests, and their tinkling sounds of rain. Water is the spiritual connection to land and sky and culture. Water is life. Mesa Verde Voices is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. It is created in collaboration with Mesa Verde National Park and funded by the Mesa Verde Museum Association with a matching grant from the National Park Service. Special thanks to Robert Dobry, Cindy Cooperwriter, Bailey Springmeyer, Tana Chai Bruins, and Sharon Hull for your help and research for this episode. And a huge thanks to Lyle Belenqua, Dr. Patricia Crown, and Jonathan Till for sharing your stories with us. Our show is produced and edited by me, Kayla Woodward, with engineering help from Robert Woodward. Our music is by David Morella. For photos of turquoise and that copper bell, as well as those shells and feathers, check us out on Instagram or Facebook, or visit our website, mesaverdevoices.org. Also be sure to check out Edge of the Cedars State Park Museum on Facebook. They're always sharing great photos of their collections. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening.